Violence, Children, Chicago. When people analyze their own behavior, they attribute their successes to personal aptitude and their failures to external causes. However, when considering the behavior of others, people have a tendency to believe that their behavior is due to personal disposition rather than situational factors. This is a theory in modern psychology called fundamental attribution error. Although this concept may seem confined to individual personal interactions, it can also have larger societal implications. A narrative in our current society is that certain people have violent tendencies due to their temperament, not their situational factors. Although this idea is a result of fundamental attribution error, it could not deviate more from the truth. The best explanation of violence that I have heard is elucidated by the founder of Ceasefire, an organization dealing with violence that I will elaborate on later. Gary Slutkin explained that violence is like the great infectious diseases of all history. And we used to look at people with plague, leprosy, TB as bad and evil people and believe that something needed to be done about them and they are put in dungeons. What perpetuates violence can be as invisible today as the microorganisms of the past were. But I see violence as a behavior, not as bad people. What perpetuates violence can be as invisible today as the microorganisms of the past were. For those of you who don't know anything about the south side of Chicago, here are some numbers to give you a very superficial understanding. First of all, the south side of Chicago is the colloquial term used to mean multiple neighborhoods in the southern and southwestern end of the city of Chicago. Demographically, the south side of Chicago is majority African American, recent sentences ranging from 93 to upwards of 99%. The median household income is around 30000 as of 2017, although some neighborhoods have recorded numbers closer to 10000 The south side of Chicago has also been categorized as one of the three main park deserts in Chicago. Now, let's focus in on that last fact. According to Pascal Josart Marcelli, expenditures on parks and green spaces are usually the first to be cut when budgets are tight in a fiscally stressed urban area. Due to socioeconomic reasons, these neighborhoods literally cannot afford to prioritize green space. And although this may seem like a reasonable course of action, a lack of green space is particularly detrimental for children. According to the article Green Cities, Good Health, published by the University of Washington, ecological theory suggests that contact with nature is important for children's mental, emotional, and social health because imagination and creativity, cognitive and intellectual development, and social relationships are encouraged in outdoor activity, all of which improve the child's mental health and function. A lack of green space can have other negative implications. In a study done by the Journal of the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry found that children ages 9 to 18 who had long and short-term exposure to green space in their residential community showed decreased levels of aggression. In addition, a systematic review study was done by Sandra Bogart and Kristen M. Beyer through the Medical College of Wisconsin to see the relationship between green space, crime, and violence. Despite the lack of studies in number and in variation relating to this topic, this particular study shows that preliminary research examined demonstrated overwhelmingly positive associations between urban green space and, and decreased violence and crime. A lack of green space should be viewed as a form of environmental violence. The negative consequences of scarcity of green space predisposes children to problems with mental health and increased aggression, which can be the foundation for violent behavior and adverse coping mechanisms as an adult. If inadequate green space were viewed as a form of violence, there would be a sense of urgency to address this issue. According to the Implementation Handbook for the Convention of the Rights of the Child, a convention overseen by UNICEF, it is the responsibility of state parties to prevent all forms of violence against children and to take appropriate measures to promote physical and psychological recovery if some form of violence does occur in a child's life. The inadequate access to green spaces in low-income neighborhoods needs to be viewed as both a form of environmental injustice and environmental violence. If the only type of violence children were exposed to was environmental-related, there would be a visible causal negative impact. 
However, due to years of this problem being unrecognized, children are now exposed to both environmental violence and the likely manifestation of environmental violence, targeted violence. As stated in an Urban Institute article, when children grow up in a violence-ridden area, they exhibit the same psychological trauma as children who grow up in urban war zones do. They are also more at risk at becoming a perpetrator of violence themselves. According to a 2007 survey done by the University of Chicago's School of Social Service Administration, a third of 600 African-American Chicago high school students have seen a dead body that was not at a funeral related to one. To help internalize this information, here's an excerpt from an interview conducted by The Guardian where a Chicago public school teacher, Dave Stieber, recounts his worst day of work. My worst day was having to grieve with my students after our first student was killed because of violence outside of school. He was a senior a few months from graduation. He had come from difficult circumstances like most of our kids and had turned his life around and gotten accepted to college. I found out early on a Saturday morning and was dreading going to school that Monday. I had written a poem about him that Sunday. I got to school and most of the school was gathered in the auditorium to talk and grieve. I decided to share my poem with the kids and staff. I cried hard and barely made it through the poem. It was a terrible experience that I wish no one ever has to go through. Sadly, our school has experienced other deaths from violence since. Although the effects targeted violence has on children and communities is devastating and may invoke a sense of vengeance against the perpetrator, I don't know if that is an entirely justified reaction. Is the aggressor at fault for growing up in an area that bolsters violence and doesn't provide proper rehabilitation for traumatic events experienced by the aggressor themselves? Is the perpetrator a maker of violence or did violence make the perpetrator? I would argue the latter. Even though this may seem like a vicious cycle, there are efforts of resistance and resilience to combat both targeted violence and environmental violence. The efforts regarding targeted violence are very extensive and divided into two main categories, prevention and intervention. Prevention. In class, we often discuss how one of the most compelling, moving, and necessary aspects of any issue is hearing and listening to the stories behind these issues. One will not be able to better understand how gun violence affects a child than hearing a child recount their personal experiences. The Chicago YMCA runs a program called Story Squad to empower youth to share their personal experiences through audio storytelling. This program allows children to process their trauma in a healthy way and understand their personal experiences in a context of greater structural inequalities. Although these stories are intended to provide emotional support for these children and serve as an expressive outlet, they also have a specific preventative function. Grant Burr, the director of the program, claims that the next stage of Story Squad is finding ways to plug in these stories into a policy environment where they can have real impact. Although Story Squad serves as a form of healing for a community that is exposed to so much violence, the platform can also be used as a wake-up call for the public and policymakers. Statistics can only cause so much impact. These stories have the potential to evoke urgency and empathy in others. I will now play one of these stories so all of you can experience the effect yourselves. Once upon a time, there was a woman named Scottisa. She struggled with providing for her three kids, but she never not came in the house without something for her kids to eat. She also lived in an apartment in the ghetto, and she tried and tried to get everything that her kids needed. One thing I could say was every time she wanted to do something for her kids, her kids were disrespectful or they weren't listening. One night, her youngest kid didn't come home until late at night. There had just been a shooting around the corner. He decided to walk up the block. He got into an argument with someone he barely even knew. Out of nowhere, three gunshots went off. 
The 13 year old boy was shot three times. He passed away later on that night in the hospital. Stories like this happen every day in reality in my neighborhood. Stories like this don't always have to end a tragedy. This could have been me or one of my friends. Live life to the fullest because you never know when it could be your last. Intervention. Although prevention is helpful in reducing future violence and promoting awareness, it is not enough on its own. Intervention is also needed to stop violent situations as they happen, because violence is still the usual, not the exception. The Chicago Project for Violence Prevention is currently administrating Cure Violence's Violence Prevention Program, Ceasefire. In Chicago, Ceasefire has interrupted about 1,400 violence events as of 2012 and dropped shootings from about 40 to 45 percent in areas where it was implemented. The violence interrupters from Ceasefire are well-respected members from Chicago who care about Chicago. By having an organization by the community for the community, there is a sense of understanding and devotion that reduces violence more successfully than an external source would. Although environmental injustices and violence are prevalent in the south side of Chicago, these issues have not received nearly as much local or national attention as targeted slash gun violence. I think part of this is due to the fact that it is not as overt and obvious of an issue as gun violence, making it easier to disregard. However, there is one organization that actively addresses these two issues, Little Village Environmental Justice Organization, or LVEJO. LVEJO is based in the Chicago Southwest neighborhood Little Village and addresses the fact that a lot of the environmental injustices their community faces are inherently racial injustices. However, these injustices are commonly attributed to deficiencies of poor communities and racial inferiority. One of the most prominent environmental injustices that Little Village faces is, unsurprisingly, a lack of green space and healthy recreational environments, which, as stated by Antonio R. Lopez, propagates a deadly environment of violence that working people and youth of color must survive and negotiate on a daily basis. In order to deal with this environmental violence, LVEJO has created a strong park advisory council that is made up of community leaders and organizations, allowing for the community to remediate the community itself. LVEJO's most prominent success is, as stated on their website, winning the Celo Tax Superfund campaign and working with the Chicago Park District to redesign the first public park to be built in the Little Village in 75 years. LVEJO was the only organization of its kind that I could find. Although the mission of this organization is encouraging, it is very limited to a particular neighborhood and does little to benefit the entire South Side as a whole. The deficiency of environmental violence-related efforts reflects a limited understanding of how environmental violence is related to targeted and gun violence. If a doctor tried curing a cough caused by lung cancer by giving their patient cough syrup, cough drops, and hot tea with honey, are they really ever going to help cure their cough? If, as a society, we continue to ignore that environmental violence is at the root of targeted and gun violence, will we ever actually stop violence?